Many years he walked in darkness as he groped along the streets with his hands stretched out for pennies or for just a bite to eat. It's the story of a blind man who met Jesus on his way and with the master's touch the man looked up as the scoffers heard him say Somebody touch me Somebody touch me I was blind but praise his name I now can see man and made him walk again then the master saw with pleasure he had labored not in vain like the story of that crippled man I once was bound by sin but since the master Came. Oh, praise his name. Thank God I now can say. Somebody touch me. Somebody touch me. I was blind, but praise his name. I now can see. Well, 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 that's a song that uh, <clears throat> we're planning on singing. Where'd that thing go? There it is. We're planning on singing that while we're over there, if we get an opportunity to. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, the Filipino people love music. They just love music. And so we put a few songs together, and we're hoping to have the opportunity maybe to share with them. And they'll, I know they'll enjoy it. <clears throat> Every time I go over there, they're wanting me to sing, so I figured I'd bring some others and let them have the opportunity as well, because it's really a great time when you get in the midst of all those folks, and they're just fired up and excited, 
And so uh, you, uh, again, just keep praying because we want God to do a great work and we want to be a blessing to them like they're going to be a blessing to us. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, again, take our Bibles and look over at the passage of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 16. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. All right, we got our, good, we're ready to go up there. I got all these tied together here with a staple, and I forgot I was going to need them torp. Whoop, that didn't work good. There we go. Fortunately, that page has been used already, so we should be all right. Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin over there in uh, verse 16. Notice what the passage says there. It says, I'd be good if I was in 1, I'm in 16. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, I'm shook up, aren't I? I need 16 hours on that flight or 20 hours, whatever it is, just to get my head together. Chapter 1, there it is, verse 16. He says, now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. Jesus said unto them, come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. We began by saying, you become who you follow. So be careful who you follow, it's a big deal. And then we started noticing some passages, and we said, you know, there's a couple different places that we see this one restated. One of them is in Matthew 4, 19, and he saith unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then we see it also over in the book of Luke, chapter 5, verse 10. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And then in Mark 1, verse 17 here, we see, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now again, we said that the first two slides emphasize the fact. It emphasized the fact that they will catch men and be fishers of men. But then that last verse, the portion there in Mark, emphasizes a a fact. Instead of a fact, it emphasizes a process. And so we noted it said, I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, what it essentially is telling us then is Christ is saying, you know what? If you follow me, I will make you to pass from one state to another, from being fishers of fish to fishers of men. And you know, he's telling us that this is going to be a process. It's not something that's going to happen immediately. It's something that's going to take place as a direct result of their following the Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a process that will be accomplished as they're exposed to a fresh outlook, to to different qualities, to maybe even a new character. All of those things are important. So we said the fact is that whatever you follow is what you will ultimately become. That's exactly what we're talking about in our our series. And uh, we said, you know, you become who you follow. That's the name of the series. And we want to recognize that and we want to continue to move forward with that. Now again... Whatever you follow, whoever you follow, is what you will ultimately become. And we started talking about some things, and we noted this behavior tree. And we recognized that there's some things about the behavior tree that are important. We said that there were a couple aspects of the behavior, where should I say, where we're shaped. We're shaped into who we are. Our attitudes, opinions, and feelings are a direct result of our environment, our experiences, our teaching, our upbringing, and our influences. 
But we noted that there's a couple of those that, do not, that, that can't be changed. You, no matter what you do, there's no way you're going to change them, and that would be your experiences and your upbringing. However, the other three, your environment, your teaching, and your influences, all of those are things that now as a child of God, as a believer, you can determine. You can make up your mind that your environment will be such that it will encourage you in your walk with Christ. That your teaching that you receive and those that you give ear to will be those that will once again train you, teach you, and help you to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Our influences, those people that you will permit to influence you in your life will be people who will influence you to good and godliness. Those are choices that you make. Those are choices that I make. People, if we're not careful, can come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I can't help it. You don't understand where I work. You don't understand where I live. You don't understand my situation. What I understand is that Jesus Christ saved your soul, and now the only thing that you've got to overcome in your life, and he'll give you victory over those as well, is your experiences in the past and the upbringing that you had. But my friend, from this day forward, it's up to you what your environment is, what your teaching is, and what your influence is. And those are things that we have to be very careful with. And so, we started talking about Philippians 1.6. We said, being confident of this very thing that he hath, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it the day of Jesus Christ. And we started considering some of those thoughts and we talked about the day of Christ versus the day of the Lord and we addressed some of those issues. But when it was all said and done, we said no one becomes all that God would have them to be the very moment they're saved. Becoming is a process that takes time. The fact is that becoming is a process that takes time. And so we need to be very careful with our environment, our, our, our environment, our, 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 um, our uh, excuse me, our, I'm, I'm losing my mind here a second. Hold on, let me go back because I don't want to say it wrong. From our, our environment, our teaching, and our influences. So we have to be very careful what we do with those. Now, I want to continue now. And I want to keep going from this point on. So let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer and we'll see how far we get to this evening. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the word of God. We're excited about, Father, what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we want to see you do more. And that's why our theme is let's pray. We recognize that without you, we can do nothing. So Father, we cry out to you tonight, even asking that you'll do a work in our hearts that you speak to us as only you can. We'll give you the glory and we'll give you the honor for it in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> with this thought in mind again, this idea that becoming is a process and it takes time. We ask the question, why are we admonished to walk with wise men? Why are we admonished to walk with wise men. In light of our statement, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? If indeed this is true, if indeed becoming is a process in the Christian life, and I believe it is when we consider it as we've already have, that he began a good work in us and will perform to the day of Jesus Christ, the fact is, again, and I think, it was, I think it was Sunday night we talked about how no man putting his hand to the plow is worthy if he looks back. And we said, you got to keep your hand on the plow. you got to keep on going. Well, one of the things that we need to do then is we need to be very careful of those influences we allow in our life. So if that's the case then, then without a doubt, 
becoming being a process, we need to be extremely careful that we walk with wise men. Otherwise, it's going to cost us then. Proverbs chapter 13. Look, if you would, in Proverbs 13, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. There in the book of Proverbs, we often refer to it as the wisdom book. And, of course, we know that uh, Solomon as a whole was the man that God used to pen that portion of Scripture. But uh, notice what it says there in Proverbs 13, 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be what? Okay, he that walketh with wise men shall be what? Isn't that good? And he goes on to say, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Now listen, there's a contrast here, and often in the book of Proverbs, you'll see contrast. You'll see this on one hand versus this on the other hand. And he does that often, and he does that by comparison, and he wants you to see the contrast of situations and circumstances. And in this case, he says, he that walketh with wise men. Come on up here, brother. You played the piano tonight, did a great job. Come on up. Come on up, Daniel. Come on, hurry it up. Take your hands out of your pocket. Nobody wants to see you do that. All right, so here we go. Look out. It wasn't that long ago. I was a lot taller than him. What happened? Just making sure he don't have stilts on. Man, that is awesome, man. You're going to be like six foot three or something, aren't you? He's going to be whooping me pretty soon for doing this to him, too. All right, so anyway, here we go. Daniel, you and I are going to walk together. All right? Let's start walking. Now listen, that's what the Bible's talking about. You see that? Notice that. Tell you, Brother Josh, why don't you read that first passage, 13, that first section right there. He that walketh with what? What? He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. Okay, right there it is. Now listen, here's the bottom line. If this is a wise guy, this is a wise fella, then guess what? If I'm walking with him, what will I be? I'm going to be wise. But a companion of what? A companion of fools shall be destroyed. On the other hand, if he's not wise and he's a fool, and I'm walking with him, what's going to happen to me? Yeah, I'm going to be destroyed. Why? Because he's not going to be on the straight and narrow. He's going to be going off the path. He's going to take off off the cliff one day, and guess where, where I'm going to go? Following right with him. Now listen to me. I'm telling you this is serious business. Now again, when it comes to being practical in the Christian life, there's nothing any more practical than this. And yet we dismiss this often. I mean, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise. You better make sure who you're walking with is a wise person. You better make sure that they are grounded in the word of God. You better make sure that they care about the things of Christ. You better make sure that their desire and their heart is just like yours, to want to please the Lord Jesus Christ with your life and your lips. But I'm going to tell you something. If you choose a bad person to walk with, if you get in cahoots with somebody that's not equally as faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ as you, my friend, it won't be you that influences them. It'll be them that influences you. So the Bible's teaching. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Now, let me give you a scenario, and you give me an answer in a moment. Please, don't yell it out. I want hands raised, but I think you'll get it pretty quick. Randy, okay, you're going to counsel now. You're going to help out, all right? Here's the story. Randy was a good boy who excelled at school. 
He was personable and he got along with everyone his age and even adults. Can I stop there a second? I'm about fed up to hear with what they call the generation gap. There's no generation gap. That's called rebellion. The truth is, is that any young person that's living for God is not going to have a problem with an older person living for God. It's not a matter of, I mean, it, you say, well, the culture's so different from the time they lived and the time. Nuh-uh, not if you're in a biblical culture. And by the way, whatever happened to young people loving older people? I'll tell you what's happened, and can I just be very blunt? Our families are disintegrating and falling apart. Therefore, there's no example of older people in the home, and they've learned to think older people are just wasting oxygen. We better be real careful. You better start teaching your young people. Get them around older people. If you don't have a grandma or grandpa that's living and, and you're a parent, you don't, I mean, you don't have a mom or dad that's living or you don't have somebody close in the, the proximity where they can consistently see them, you better pick somebody out in this church that you love and you make sure you get over there and see them and bring your children with you, whether they like it or not, and teach them to love older people. And by the way, young people and parents, I think it's ridiculous this generation gap? I can't imagine growing up in a home or having children in my home that didn't want to spend time with me. That would drove me nuts. If they don't want to spend time with me, I'm choking them out. And they'll still be on the floor with me there. But we're going to be together. This idea that kids just, they're going to grow up, they're going to go off on their own, they're going to leave you on your own, they've just got their own friends, their own thing, they don't care about you, they don't care about anybody else, they're so selfish, they're this, they're that. We are teaching them to be that way. That's, that's, that's learned behavior. It's not natural. In the Bible, there's no generation gaps. I don't read about them. Now listen, you can go ahead and believe whatever you want. But the reason there's so many differences is because the world has made those differences in the minds of men and women, boys and girls. I'm telling you, man, our young people, they, listen, young people, you better work at getting to know these older people. If an older person says hi to you, you stop in your tracks and you say, hello, how are you today? Don't go. Don't do that. You know what that proves? And I'm going to say it as nicely as I can, that you're stupid. You know how wise those people are that have given you an opportunity to talk to you? And you're going to dismiss that? And you're going to act like, well, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to talk to them. I don't know who they are. They're weird looking. They're old. They got all those wrinkles and stuff. My goodness, I don't know. Will it rub off? I mean, young people think crazy stuff. You know what I mean? No, you get over there and you, you just get on there and you talk to them and you get to know them some. And you singles don't, you better do the same thing. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it, and you may not like it. I've gotten word from some of our older people that you young people are stuck up and arrogant. That you go around like this when they say hi to you. Listen to me. You are good young people. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But some of you won't talk to our older people. They'll say hi to you, and you're like, hi. I'm telling you, they just want to get to know you. And I'll be honest with you, you would be very wise to get to know some of them. You'll be amazed how God will use them in your life to be a blessing to you. And that's true with our singles, too. I got word that our singles are just as bad. You say, that's crazy. Why would you say that on a Wednesday night and be so negative? I'm not being negative. I'm being honest. I've gotten feedback, and I want it to change. Why? Not for my sake, for your sake. 
You young people, because these older people have a lot to give you. They've got a lot of years of wisdom. Let them help you. It's amazing. It's amazing what they can do. Now, I know that that's not popular today. Nobody wants to hear it, maybe, but I think it's important. Amen. I think it's important. I, I, I'm just going to say this. I, my, my young people, my, my kids in my house, still go over to their grandparents' house and do stupid stuff. They act like a bunch of kids. We're going to grandma's. All right. That's not supposed to happen when they're 16, let alone 26. But see, it's how they were brought up. Boy, you got to bring them up that way. So let's work at that, all right? Let's work at it. So anyway, Randy, he's a good boy, and he excelled at school. He was personable. He even got along with everybody his age and the adults. He was likable and tenderhearted. He loved going to church and hanging out with the kids at church. He had a great time at summer camp and he even made decisions to live for the Lord and to do something big for God one day. He then returned to school the next fall and you know where it's going, don't you? Things started to change. He wasn't as interested in church as he had been. His grades began to slip and an attitude began to show. Oh, I mean, he still went to church and and, and the family functions. I mean, but he preferred to stay home. His parents would try to encourage him. Come on now. You, you know, come on. We're going to grandma's. Let's go. You're going with us. And he, oh. I mean, they were doing their best. They were doing all they could. But he started getting somewhat of an attitude. His grades began to slip. That attitude began to show. He preferred to stay home. And he didn't want to be around his parents as much as he used to be. He was quick to get angry, and he felt that everybody was trying to run his life. Can anyone tell me, don't yell it out, what probably changed in Randy's life? Can anybody tell me what probably changed in Randy's life? All the way in the back. He, he must have got another friend then, a different friend, huh? That's, about, that's almost 90, 90% of the time, I would say that's probably accurate. That would be the answer. Man, he's starting to hang around somebody other than a wise person. He was around the kids at church. He was exposed to the gospel. He was at summer camp. He was being, being in, inundated with the word of God. But now all of a sudden, he finds himself in a different environment. He finds himself in a, under a lot of pressure to conform. And he meets up with somebody likely that well, doesn't have the same outlook, belief system, or maybe standards that he has. A new friend. Can anybody give me an example or examples of, uh, uh, you know, the Bible uh, warns us about friends. Can anybody give me an example of that in the Bible, maybe, of where a friend was a real negative influence? Yeah. Samson, we see that some of his associates were somewhat, he struggled with. I'm not so sure sometimes he wasn't the one that was causing the trouble too, though. But yeah, no doubt about it. He got mixed up with the wrong crowd. In the back, Job. He had some friends that were kind of a little bit different, didn't he? He sure did. That's a good one. I didn't think about that one, but you did. In the end, we know that he, they, were, they were throwing him under the bus. And God all along was saying, man, he's my man. Anybody else? Um, back here. Oh, okay. All right. Right. You're talking about Amnon. 
Well, let's take a look at Amnon. That's a good one. Turn to 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Boy, that's, that's good. Those were all good. I'm sure there are a number of others we could look at as well, huh? Boy, I tell you, it's so important who we associate with, who we allow, who we give our ear to, who we allow to influence us. It's so, so important. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. For she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Now at this point, Amnon seems to be thinking rather straight, doesn't he? He's doing pretty good, it seems. Someone might have taught him the right way to go. Somebody may have given him some decent instruction along the way. Maybe a parent, grandparent. Somebody had instilled some kind of element of character there for him to feel bad and say, you know what, I can't do nothing with my sister. I can't handle things the wrong way. I've got to do things the right way. That's good. But the Bible goes on in verse 3 to say, but Amnon had a friend. This is where it gets convoluted. This is where it gets difficult. And... uh, You know, we need to be very careful who we call our friends. You know, that word is, it's like the word love today. Love's kind of thrown around all over the place. You know, just, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, um, you know, you got 12-year-olds telling each other they love them now. I, I, and please forgive me, I don't remember sometimes where I hear things. So if I did hear it from you, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm just going to say because I don't remember who it was, so there's no, no malice here intended. But, but honestly... I, I heard something the other day. I think the child was nine years old, and, and they were talking about uh, having a boyfriend and, uh, you know, allowed to date. At nine years old, go out with another boy or girl. Of the op- I, I, go out with somebody of the opposite sex at nine? If they ain't just literally just your buddy and friend that you play uh, climb up trees with at that age, uh, no, we ain't, we ain't having that. Now, I don't know what in the world's going on in our culture that says that a nine-year-old thinks they have to date somebody, but uh, that's pretty pitiful if you ask me. No wonder our girls are getting pregnant at 13 and 14. But anyway, we dress them up like the wrong kind of people, and we wonder why bad things are happening when we're teaching them that kind of behavior from the beginning. Preacher, you're such a blessing. Thank you so much. But nonetheless, we need to be careful, though, when it comes to this thing of calling people our friend, too. Well, he's my friend. She's my friend. You better be careful who your friends are. As we're going to find, Amnon is no, uh, Amnon is no friend at all. Uh, excuse me. To, uh, um, not Amnon. Jonadab was no friend at all to, to, to uh, Amnon. None at all. And um, the Bible continues to say whose name was Jonadab. This is the friend. The son of Shemiah, David's brother, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. Now, it appears that Jonadab is his cousin then. Okay, so here's a cousin now, and he's also calling him a friend. Notice the emphasis is not on the family tie, but it's more on the fact that he's his friend. I think that's important to note. Listen, you got family. You can't sever yourself from family. But let me tell you something. You better be careful who you allow to influence you, even if they are family. You better be careful, because in the end, he had a friend He allowed his cousin to be his buddy, his friend, and unfortunately that friend didn't have the same outlook and view that Amnon had, and it would ultimately cost him. Now, 
we're not, we're, we're made aware of this, of, of a very weak and very conniving character, and his name is Jonadab. And uh, it's interesting the word, the term that's used to describe him. He says the word subtle. And not just subtle, the word is very subtle. Now, who else in Scripture was described early on in the book of Genesis as being subtle? Satan was, that's right. Now, listen, don't think that's a coincidence. The word's being used on purpose here. It's no coincidence at all. As a matter of fact, it's only used three times in the entire Scriptures. It's used once there, and it's used here as a second time. And, and, and we're going to see it used one more time. Here it is. Of course, for Satan, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice again, he was more subtle than any beast. And then, of course, we have about Jonadab, Amnon's so-called friend. He was very subtle man, a very subtle man. And then the next time it's used, it's used over in the book of Proverbs chapter 7, verse 10, when it says, And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart. Now listen, it goes on to talk about, notice, subtle. Um, and, and it's so important to realize this, subtle of heart. Again, the word subtle, very important. A very subtle man, subtle at heart. And of course, here we have in Genesis He was more subtle than any beast. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's something going on here. Now, that's a study in and of itself, by the way. What is the attire of a harlot? That's that's a good study right there. You might want to take that on, ladies. You may want to understand. By the way, husbands, you may want to take that on. You may want to take that on so that you know how your daughters ought to be dressing. The word subtle means sly, artful, Cunning, crafty, insinuating as a subtle person, a subtle adversary. Sly, artful, cunning, crafty. Jonadab, he appeared to be more akin to Satan, in in my opinion, than he was to David then. It goes on to say, And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? What he's saying then to to Amnon is this. Jonadab's saying this. He's a very subtle man, by the way. He's saying, Remember who you are. Remember who you are. You aren't just anybody. You're the king's son. Don't forget that. You're the king's son. Of all people, you shouldn't have to go without something you truly desire. I mean, someone else may have to, but you're the king's son. You remember who you are. He's pumping him up, boy. And Amnon responds. And he says, I love Tamar, my my brother Absalom's sister. That's why I'm so down. That's why I'm so, so having such a difficult time. And you know what? You know the rest of the story, don't you? Jonadab convinces Amnon to pretend to be sick, and he asks his sister to go and prepare food for him. He then dismisses the servants, and he forces himself on her. Let me tell you something. A horrible situation. Horrible. All because of a so-called friend. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be what? Destroyed. Listen, don't forget it. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be? 
Don't forget it. I'm telling you, we forget it too often. I'm telling you, we only remember it when it's convenient. I'm telling you, we only remember it after we've walked out of camp, and then we forget it about two weeks back into school. We only remember it when we've come back from the, the, the uh, we've been in a missions conference. We only remember it when we've been in a, 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 a revival service, and then we go back to work, and we forget all about it. We go back to our old friends. We forget all about it. You better be careful. This is serious business. How did it end for him? Real bad. Real bad. It cost him his life. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Don't be deceived. Don't think somehow you'll be the ex- exception to the rule. Well, you know, I can handle it. I'm, I'm very mature in my Christian walk, and I'm very mature in my life. I, I, I'm really good at dealing with situations, and I can overcome that. There's a lot of people, I'm sure, that can't. And, but, but me, I'm good at this, and I'm okay with it. And, and you don't realize, I read the Bible, and I study from time to time, and I pray, and, and, and I do all of that. I really believe the Word of God. I just don't believe it in that case. But anyway, I believe the Word of God, and I love Jesus. I just don't love Him enough to obey His Word. I just really... See where it's going? Isn't it funny how we pick and choose what we're going to do for God? What principles, what truths, what, what uh, commands we're going to obey? But we love him. If you love me, keep my <clears throat> commandments. If you love me, <clears throat> keep my commandments. Come on, folks. Do we love him? We only love him when it's convenient, maybe. That sounds a lot like some of the fellows in our world today with girls. Sounds like some of the girls today in our world toward husbands and wives and husbands and boyfriends. I'm telling you, you better be careful. You better be careful. You cannot expose yourself to the wrong kind of influence without it affecting you. But on the other hand, here's the good note. You can't expose yourself to the proper influence and it not affect you either. The proper influence is going to affect you positively. Over in the Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. We're almost done. We really are. Wednesday night goes real fast because we get started so late. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. I have to be out of here before the flight tomorrow morning. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Notice what it says. Let us consider, this is a great verse. We don't don't quote this one enough. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. As believers, the Bible teaches that we're to be actively seeking to be a very positive influence for good, for good in the lives of brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's as simple as it is, right? He tells us, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. But I want you to notice verse 25. It dovetails right into this. He goes on, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Again, I want you to understand and note how closely provoke unto love and to good works is connected to forsaking not the assembling of ourselves. Too many times, we, if we're not careful, we can buy into this idea that we can, be, um, we can 
be provoked or we can provoke ourselves into to, to, to loving and to doing good works, and we don't need the church. We can kind of get the idea that I can live my Christian life without the local church. But I'm going to tell you something. According to the passage, you want to know where you find all of this wonderful provoking unto good works, this provoking unto love? You find a lot of it right here in the midst of this place, the local church. Boy, that's why you can't forsake it. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And the day is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Things aren't going to get better before he comes. They're only going to keep getting worse. And so we better be prepared. You know how we get prepared? By being provoked and encouraged and motivated to live the Christian life. To be reminded over and over again that it's worth it all. And we get that right here. No man is an island. I read a story about D.L. Moody. I'm going to try to remember it as I'm telling you, but... I remember he went and visited a man who was unwilling to go to church. He didn't feel he needed church. As a matter of fact, he was lost even. And in those days, of course, they didn't have heaters. They didn't have, uh, you know, uh, uh, furnaces in their homes. They had a fire. And so Moody had gathered around the fire with this man. And as they talked, he said, I don't need the church. I, I don't need God. I don't need the church. And Moody reached in with those tongs and he took off one of those hot embers and he set it aside and he said the, the man and him just stared at it and watched it as at first it glowed so brightly. And as time went on, it just became more dim and more dim until finally it was just, just a lump of coal, so to speak. And the man said, I see what you're saying. I'll be in church Sunday." You get it? You want to get cold toward God? You want to get cold toward souls? You want to get cold toward the things of God? Just lay out a church. Just watch it on... What's that stuff called? Live stream. Stay home in your underwears. I'm going to relax and take it easy. I don't feel like getting all dressed up and going out in the cold tonight. Yeah, go ahead. Stay home. Stay home. Stay comfortable. But you're going to get cold. Now listen, if you're sick or, or you have a good reason for being there, I mean a good reason now. That's one thing. That's what it's for. But listen, it's too convenient sometimes just stay home. Don't do that. You're going to be like that ember that's all all hot for Jesus, but you're going to cool off. I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. It's the laws of physics, my friend. Get away from the fire. You're going to cool down. This is a faithful saying. These things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Good and profitable unto men, what men? What men is he talking about? This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Hmm. Seems to me that it could include all men, really. But even the men and women of God. And these things, what are they? Those good works he's talking about. They're profitable. Those good works are profitable unto all men. 
Boy, we have to maintain those good works. How do we do that? Make sure you're walking with wise men. You get to walking with fools, become a companion of fools. That's out the window. Matter of fact, you're going to be so far from that, you'll ultimately, as he says, be destroyed. So Daniel, come on up real quick, and we're going to end this sermon. I need that wise man again. Come on, hustle up. Hustle, hustle. We're going to have to work on that. Here we go. What are we doing? We're walking. Go ahead and read it again, Josh. Are you there still? Or do you turn away from it? He that walketh with what? Wise men shall be wise. Come on, come on. Man, I want to walk with a wise man. I want to be wise. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to end up in a mess. I don't want to be in trouble. I don't want to lead my family astray. I don't want to lead my kids astray. I don't want to lead my grandchildren astray. I want to make sure I stay on the straight and narrow. I'm going to walk with a wise man. I'm not going to walk with a fool. I'm going to walk with a wise man. Becoming is a process, and it takes time. Don't think one quick walk with a wise man is going to change your life. It's going to take a number of them consistently walking with wise men. Not one week out of the year, not one month out of the year, but every day walking with wise men. That's what will transform us. That's what will enable us to become. And If we'll walk with Jesus, we'll become fishers of men. Thank you. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for what you do for us. And we just thank you for your love and your grace in our lives. Now we ask that you'd bless work.